I, those are three of the best claps of my life right there. I think wow. you're getting better. It's my new favorite segment <laughs> on the show is clapping to start it off, which I don't think, unfortunately, anybody's going to be ever be able to hear. But uh... Oh, are you guys feeling good? You guys feeling like uh, making a little podcast? Yeah, man, let's do it. I've got yeah. my coffee. I'm ready to go. Ooh, you're all you're all juiced up. Actually, yeah. wow, come to think of it, I didn't even get stoned before this. This is going to be a, a strangely lively episode. <laughs> you're going to remember a lot in this episode. <laughs> yeah, like the, I'm going to edit the shit out of it because I'm going to actually remember like, oh, yeah, I said this stupid thing here instead of just like being too stoned and not caring. All right. Whoa, let's uh, let's do this thing. Episode 61 Gearbuds podcast. It's your boys, Henry and Dave. Yep. And also we have. An amazing guest on today, musician, recording engineer, studio owner extraordinaire, Mr. James Beasley the Third. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I didn't practice it, so I'm glad that it actually worked out. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get into our our history and of knowing each other and the things that you've been up to since then and all that fun stuff. Cool. Uh, but before we do that, we're gonna do the old. Uh, You'll segments that we usually do and start with a symphony of corrections. And here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. I uh, just want to thank all of our listeners who've been joining us and sticking with us lately. That's it's very exciting. Uh, as always, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, subscribe, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Play. Actually, it's not Google Play anymore. It's Google Podcasts. I'm going to have to update that in the oh, outline. Okay. Throw it in the symphony for next week. Uh, I've been kind of lazy about updating the gearbudspodcast.com slash free dash stuff uh, thing, but I will I will try to remember to do that before this one comes out because um, there's just a lot of free software and shit that you can download right now, and I like to, to compile all that for you. That's awesome. And uh, one last thing that sort of this, I guess I, I, I thought this was worth uh, inclusion in the symphony because uh, it's something that we've talked about a bit in the past, and that is this idea of uh, music stores starting to reopen. And uh, you know, our favorite music store, Chicago Music Exchange, uh, as of as of Monday when this episode comes out, it will be back and open for business. Wow, uh, which is which is kind of crazy, right? That's great. I mean, we we, we, we got into the the thing about Guitar Center and them them sort of reopening right. early and how that sort of freaked us out. Um, but I have to say, I mean, obviously, in knowing so many of the the fine folks over there. They wouldn't do it at Chicago Music Exchange unless they felt super safe and comfortable yeah. with, with the way that they were going to go about it. So um, we're, we're definitely going to have someone on from the, sh- uh, the shop on the show soon to kind of talk about that a little bit because I'm super curious to know what their, what their procedures, procedures are, are yeah, like. You know, I mean, the fact is your business is predicated on touching a bunch of shit that other people also touch. And spending yeah. a lot of time uh, in that store as well. You know, you don't just go in there time, for five yeah. minutes. Yeah. Right, totally. So I'm very curious to, to learn about that. We, uh, we're we going to definitely have somebody on soon because that is just something that I want to know more about. Uh, that's all I got. It's a really great short news. symphony today. Very great news. Uh, also great news, I'm sure, is about to come our way because it is time for my favorite segment every week, Dave's Docs. Yeah, baby. Uh, <laughs> wow. So I don't really know how else to uh, introduce this one. I Do you guys uh, do you guys like In Excess at all? Did you ever get into them? Oh, Yeah. A little bit. Remember I that band it was like from the '80s? Radio. Called, yeah. I mean, they w- yeah. Like I, I tolerate in excess, and and I guess like Michael Hutchins is this sort of like mythical figure. But honestly, I don't really okay. know shit about it. I'm gonna fill you in just a little bit because I uh, I went down a rabbit hole this week. I 
So I was watching, um, do you guys ever get like Access TV and they just show like full concert performances? And I guess is um, that the one that used to be like Palladium? Or I something think so, like I, yeah, that? I think it was related, but it's the same kind of thing. Like they just have like, well, they'll also do like interviews and they'll do, um, you know, just just random like segments and little like biopics about bands and stuff like that. It's, but it's always music related. And um, they had one on the other day. It was uh, I think it was a PBS like concert, and it was in excess 1991, I think, and they were playing at um, Wembley Stadium, like in front oh, of wow. like. 75,000 people and I was like I had no idea this band was this big you know wait, I, is that uh is that is that wait are they enjoy the silence or is that no that's Depeche Mode what was in yeah. excess's hit dude I mean they had the bank you know they had um uh is I need da- you tonight I need you tonight yeah. was a big one yeah um just like honestly I didn't I couldn't name them all like the names of the songs but I watched this whole concert start to end and I knew every single song like it was it was no crazy. shit so I had no idea these guys had bangers I guess the album kick was like their big album I think it came out in like God, I don't know 89 88 or 89 or something like that um, 87 I think that's what it was um, I wonder if anyone has ever accused in excess of having bangers before dude new <laughs> sensation new sensation is a banger dude have you heard that <laughs> oh yeah dude sensation. Oh, wow. So anyways, so I, I went into that. I watched that. That's kind of unrelated. Um, all of a sudden, I'm on, you know, I'm on, I'm doing my little research, my little... Wait, like, so that's not your Dave's doc? Is not in excess? Well, it's not that performance. So I watched oh, that. Oh. But I was already kind of like thinking about the band because I, you know, it just kind of, it kind of sticks with you, you know, when you watch a big concert like that. Yeah, and uh, I got to say, the lead singer, Michael Hutchins, like, like totally like a rock god on stage. Like the guy is like, uh, you know, polarizing, like, like up there with like Mick Jagger level you know, you can't take your eyes off him kind of thing. And so I watched that and I was kind of thinking about it. And then I was doing my little like Dave's doc search. Like, let's do, uh, let's see what they got for this week. You know, let's see what the internet has for us. We'll roll the dice. Sure enough, there's a Michael Hutchins documentary called Mystify. And it's from 2019. So I decided to make that the Dave's doc this week while I was already on my In Excess kick. So I completely burned myself out of In Excess, all things You're never going to listen to that band ever again. (laughs) I know, right? Um, (laughs) So anyways, like really, really good, uh, really good doc, man. I, it was about, you know, his life story. He was basically this, you know, kind of superstar from when he was like 13 and he joined in excess, I think when they were all teenagers and they basically just toured their asses off nonstop. I mean, you're talking, you know, I think they did, it was like, they'd come home for two weeks and go back out for three months. And they did that for like three straight years, I think. So, um, you know, just like endless, endless touring all over the world. They had, uh, you know, this manager just kept pushing them, pushing them. Uh, they broke with that, with that kick record. That was, you know, they had a few before that, I think, but that got really popular. Um, sadly in 92, um, after they played that Wembley performance that I saw, he was in, um, I think he was in France and this cab driver like got out of his car. He was like road raging or something and punched him and he landed and he hit his head and he had like brain damage from it. And he, you know, didn't go to, he went to a hospital, but he like broke out. And basically he had that thing where like, you know, people like get like one head injury and it just changes their entire life from there on. Uh, Lost his sense of taste, lost his sense of smell, you know, never really, never really completely pulled out of it. He turned into like this angry guy all the time. Um, And it was just a really interesting twist on everything. And then, um, yeah, sadly enough in, in 1997, he uh, committed suicide. So it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was not to like really bring it down too bad, but it was kind of one of those stories of this guy who like was this elite rock God lead singer status. You know, uh, he dated like supermodels. He dated, um, do you remember the Chris Isaac video? Uh, the, the famous one with the, 
uh, wicked, wicked games. Wicked games. And the girl in that, Helena, Helena Christensen, I think her name was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, like me as a, you know, 10-year-old watching that on my couch, I was like, oh, my God, who is this woman? Um, he dated her for, like, five years or something. And then he also uh, dated Kali Minogue for a long time. Remember Kali Minogue? She was a oh, famous yeah. pop singer. How, could, in, like, you, how could anybody forget Kali Minogue? So I was like, Come dude, this now. guy was just, yeah. So he was he was kind of this ladies' man, and he had it all. And, um, you know, it's just uh, kind of a bummer thing. And then I will say on top of that bonus, there is a on Amazon Prime for free, there's a two-part, I guess it's a biopic, like when they use actors and shit. And yeah. they made it in like 2016, all about the band in excess. So I did also, you watch that too, dude? You know I fucking watched that. <laughs> <laughs> so I have completely overdosed in in excess the last. I, I went in excess of in excess the last uh, like three or four days. Nice. So it's been a it's been a whirlwind, but I, I definitely recommend uh, Mystify by uh, yeah. About so Michael okay, Hutchins. so you would say if like if I if if I or anyone listening had to choose from the three yeah. uh, in excess right. entries here, you'd go you'd go with the the on on Michael Hutchins yeah I mean you know honestly I would watch the uh, the Wembley performance if you just want to watch some live music yeah like this band was killer dude I mean they really really were were talented fucking musicians six-piece band by the way three of the guys are brothers and you know how did you uh, you feel about to do any gear spotting yeah actually uh, bass player had a 58p bass um, and the guitar player was definitely playing some kind of black pre-CBS Strat. It definitely had like clay dots and looked pretty old. But, you know, that performance was from 91 where it wasn't, you know, super crazy to buy, you know, vintage Fenders at the time. They weren't like, you know, they weren't as hot as they might be now and stuff like that. So Yeah, dude, um, that shit was firewood then. So, yeah. So they basically play, you know, they played really, really legit instruments. The drum set is like half V-drums, half, you know, full kit. So it's like this 20-piece like Neil Peart looking crazy kit. Um, so yeah, I think the Wembley performance was definitely something to watch if you want to see like how good that band was. And then the, the documentary mystify was, was definitely up there with, uh, just a, just a good solid doc. Dude, I've got to say, you've been really, you've been really punching above your weight class recently with these Dave's docs. Like yeah. you just been, you've been going way far, so far beyond, uh, what, what we're doing in the past. So you're, you're setting the bar really high for yourself. I got to say, like, I, I'm don't telling fucking you, let us down. We're going to, it's a lot of pressure every week, but I will say that, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, my time, my, my time has been more precious lately. I've been busier with work. So I'm like, if I'm going to sit down and watch, you know, two or six hours of documentaries, um, <laughs> I better make sure it's worth my while. So, so, and all I, right, dude, well, you know what I'm going to ask you though? Like, yeah, uh, I just want, I got to know what's your totally arbitrary ranking yeah. based on no scale whatsoever of the films. Um, boy, I, if, let me do an average of all three together. The biopic's going to bring it way down because the acting was like pretty good, but it was also like really cheesy and like kind of bad writing. Um, and then let's see the Wembley performance in the doc. I'll give it five out of seven hair flips. Yeah. Michael Hutchins did have great hair, didn't he? Fantastic. He was a very attractive man, I must say. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Dude. So there you Ruth, go. I'll turn it back Dave's over to docs. you. Yeah, buddy. Right there. Whew, I don't know. I can't follow that shit up. I'm. I guess let me I'll ask. Try, our, uh, let me ask our guest real quick. Do you have any? Yeah. Do you do you watch documentaries at all? Do you have any that you would recommend or any favorite music related movies? Uh, yeah, I try to watch stuff. I can't even tell you the last time though. I'll be honest. I I have a, a four year old daughter, uh, and so that's basically my documentary of life right now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that makes um, sense. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't even tell you the last time I probably sat down and like found something very. Uh, worthwhile watch uh music related or documentary related it's been a bit we'll tell you what man 
we we've got a we've got a website with a whole bunch of movies that Dave's watched before. You can yeah. just go check it out uh, if you're looking for something in the future in the old uh, Dave's Doc section. Oh, right. Yeah, get a little inspiration. Totally. Boom. All right. Well, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my uh, my weekly segment here, Riff Library. Uh, before I get into the actual album. <clears throat> I do want to mention that there's been some pretty uh, sweet protest music coming out recently, which I'm always a very big fan of. And I just checked out a song actually this morning uh, for the uh, metalheads in the room. Uh, Machine Head did a song featuring the vocalist Jesse Leach from Killswitch Engage, um, which is just like straight up, you know, pretty much just like fuck the police. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's super badass and the song is really good. And if you purchase it or, you know, buy the download or anything right now, uh, proceeds are going to the Grassroots Law Project. Definitely go listen to that song. Buy it if you can. Uh, I will also say that I do have a full record to talk about this week. And this is one that I was super stoked about because it's become this sort of mythical thing in uh, in my world. And that is the world of Neil Young fans. Uh, and that is because he put out the 1974 unreleased album Homegrown uh, a couple days ago. Okay. So for those who don't know, uh, in the late 70s, early or late 74, early 75 was around the time that he put out the record Tonight's the Night, which um, sort of ironically, I guess, came up like a couple weeks ago and we had a pretty great Neil Young impersonation. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so this was the album that he recorded like that was supposed to come out at that time i guess i can't remember her name but he was dating some famous actress and and they broke up and this was this like sort of very sad raw record a a lot about that um and it was when the story goes that he had a listening party for it and on the same reel he had tonight's the night so they accidentally sort of listened those two back to back and and he decided like not only did he think tonight's the night was maybe a little more sort of rocking and uplifting for the time Mm -hmm. but homegrown was too sensitive and personal for him so he just kind of didn't want to put that out there Um, but now you know what 45 46 years later we've got it and it's pretty badass Um, I mean uh, the songs are all sort of from slightly different sessions so like some of the tracks have Levon Helm and Robbie Robertson from the band Emmylou Harris is on a few tracks Um, this was around the time of Crosby Stills Nash and Young as well so he's got those three cats on there members of Crazy Horse Um, most of the music is stuff that I and, and Neil Young fans have never heard before, though I would say um, probably the like the most famous song from it is Love is a Rose, which <clears throat> that came from that those sessions. And then I don't think he actually officially released it until that decade double disc greatest hits that came out in the 90s. OK, uh, but that song just rips. Hell yeah. um, there is another song on there called We Don't Smoke It No More, which I mean, the whole album is like the song is called the album's called Homegrown. The song Homegrown is specifically about growing your own weed it's about marijuana uh, but then there's this other the marijuana <laughs> okay. and then there's this song called we don't smoke it no more which is kind of funny um that song's pretty good it kind of sounds like something that could be on tonight's the night it's just more of like a live band ripping kind of song there's another song in there i actually really like called vacancy which is just kind of like a barn burner um, but top to bottom it's really good i will say there is one dog on the record and that is the song called florida which is kind of just like studio banter and neil clearly stoned out of his mind talking about stuff in florida and then someone <laughs> playing like a you know how if you run your finger around the rim of a glass it makes that really yeah, horrible that annoying sound yeah uh, it's it's that with him being stoned and like that didn't need to be on there yeah um, but overall the record's awesome i highly recommend it um i will also say that I, I don't know how much of this is just the production of the time or perhaps the remix remaster for now but mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff in that era of his can 
have this very intimate but partially sort of small sound like the the tones can be maybe a little bit on the wimpy side and there's something about a lot of the the songs on this record that definitely have a little more beef a little more uh, weight to them which i definitely uh respect and and love so super into it go check it out I, I haven't been able to actually get a physical copy yet because no one has but it is on the interwebs and all that good stuff neil young Beautiful. homegrown yeah I, I was it. stoked. I mean, I love Neil I, it's Young, just man. like, yeah, I mean, for, for you and anybody who, who knows me knows that if I were to have a God, it probably would be Neil Young. So yeah. <laughs> any, uh, any, anything from that era specifically, I'm super stoked about always. And uh, it, it did not disappoint. It's really fucking good. Check it out. All right. Uh, cool. That's enough about Neil. Let's get into the next segment, Future Gear. A couple things to touch on real quick here. Uh, one thing, actually, to kind of go back to what we were talking about before with the protest music, I was super stoked about this. Black Sabbath has a uh, Black Lives Matter shirt out right now, like in that famous Black oh. Sabbath font. Oh, yeah, the purple. From, I think, oh. is it from Masters of Reality, maybe? I can't remember which album cover that's from. Is that the But instead of saying Black Sabbath. Yeah. No, it's not from the self-title, because that's the one with like the weird sort of like witch person on oh, the cover. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but it, it says Black Lives Matter, and all the proceeds go towards um, Black Lives Matter charities right now. It's only 25 bucks. Fucking buy it. That shirt's super awesome. I saw a picture um, of a... Gotta get that. I don't know if it was this exact one, but I saw a picture of Tom Morello wearing the yep. shirt. Okay, That's, you saw that's that? the exact one. The, the picture that's of the him with his mom. first time I saw it. I was like, oh, and then I saw the ad for the actual shirt, and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, yeah they're, they're releasing it. I thought maybe he had it like custom made or something. It was so cool. I totally had the same thought when I saw it, and I was like, well, that's badass, but it turns out it's actually from Black Sabbath themselves, so it's, Fuck I believe, yeah. blacksabbathapparelshop.com. You can find that. Uh, and and also, sort of related, uh, a friend of mine actually asked me about this, and I wanted to get your y'all's input, and this is about um, protest noisemakers. She was asking me, like, f- literally for a recommendation for a tambourine that I thought would be a good sort of... Uh, something that you could easily stow and carry around if you're going around po- protesting, doing that sort of stuff. Mm. And my recommendation was for one, because like I, I feel like with a tambourine, it's kind of you know it's just going to be kind of big no matter what. But what yeah. I said was, especially once you've got a backpack in the mix, yeah, then get one that doesn't have a head on it, because then you can at least like hang stick it. other mm-hmm. stuff through it or like hang it through your arm or whatever. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I wanted to I want to ask both of you guys like if you if you had to go and you, and your and your goal was to go somewhere and be able to portably yeah. uh, make as much noise as you could, what would you like what would you what would you get? Yeah. What I, would you bring? I think uh see that's funny you said no head cuz I think I would get the head one cuz you can really I have one of those with the actual like the drum head on it and you can whack that thing, you know? So you can really yeah. you can make I think a good amount more noise, but I agree with portability. You definitely want just like the hoop, you know? Okay, totally. Yeah. So yeah, l- agree with that in a hundred percent. But yeah, if it's, if it's just a matter of like making as much noise as you oh, can, like other, other I'm, instruments, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. E- yeah. If you, if either of you had any ideas question. that we could recommend to people, I got, I got um, two, I got two, I got one, yeah. one would be a vibra slap. Those things are fucking loud. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, there, it's a lot of work, I think to keep it going. Um, but, <laughs> it's, like, it's a good it's like a, it's like an exercise slash yeah, percussion instrument exactly the other one would be uh it's sort of ridiculous but it's a wearable would be like one of those marching band kick drums like if oh, you had if you dude, had the back strength it. to like carry that around all day uh yeah that, would, that could start some shit get a good rhythm going get people chanting to it uh dude, that would get people really fired cool. up man yeah yeah Oh, dude. that's badass and plus then you get the added bonus of getting the most ridiculous tan lines of all time <laughs> dude, yeah like it's just like in the sun yeah. all day it's like a giant oh like metal vest with the yeah oh dude 
All right, so we've got we've got we've got vibra slap, we've got marching bass drum, and we've got a tambourine with a head. I feel like that's like that's the makings of a of a drum circle. I don't right I don't there. like I don't know if it's loud enough, but I I've always been a fan. If we just want to you know talk percussion, uh, I'm, uh, the guiro is one of my favorite instruments mm. of all time. You know the fish. And now I think you could keep a cool rhythm with it. Now you you know you might not get the volume that you want, um, but there's a lot of options on the guiro as far as different tonal approaches to that. Dude, love that. Um, and that just made me think of another one before we leave this really quick that um, I don't even know uh, if I if I say this correctly, but it's like uh, huica. You guys know what that is? Where it's like the sort of drum thing where you like put your hand inside it and then you can like bend the pitch of it. Oh, oh. yeah. I don't know what that is. There was, there was this, the only, uh, this is like a really ridiculous reason to even know about it, but there was this band back in the day called Gilman Terra's Party Dream. Uh, who I yeah. played with a few times and like totally love their music. And they had one song that was built around a sample of that. And oh, it's wow. like this ridiculous sort of like synthy dance song, but I've always loved the sound of it because of it. It's like, I, I, I'm not even going to be able to do it with my mouth. It's just like this ridiculous <laughs> bending percussion drum sound um, that now that, now that we're talking about this, I officially need to own one of those. So my goal <laughs> is going to be to search out and own a Huica. I think also uh, one really nice small portable one that makes a lot of noise is maybe like some clavs. You know, just two sticks, you whack them together. Oh, yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. Those are a lot so of you shit. Could, you, could get, you could get those going. All right. Well, this is perfect. We've got ourselves a nice uh, protest noisemaker list uh, <laughs> to, to share with the world now uh, by request. So that's that's amazing. Good awesome. job, folks. Uh, one more thing, that, or two more things I want to talk about in Future Gear right here. One is just because I feel like we haven't done this in a while. And that is talk about uh, just like a truly stellar Craigslist posting oh, yeah. uh, for a piece of gear. Uh, this one comes to us from the uh, the near Chicago suburb of Elmhurst, Illinois. And it is, I, I honestly, I can't even remember specifically which one it is, but it doesn't totally matter. And what, what it is, it's a, it's a crate amp head. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's solid state as as they tend to be mm-hmm. uh but i think it was 100 100 water i it doesn't matter again i can't remember what the name of the specific one was but it's from the 90s it looks exactly like every crate like picture a crate like head larger in your head yeah yeah it's like a medium-sized head shell but still big enough but there are just a couple delightful things about this um one was the one was the the subject line uh, normally when you're listing your piece of gear you put like what it is uh like for instance the the brand or the model uh the the subject line for this one was just great little amp <laughs> just, just, just great little amp so i clicked it i'm not going to pretend like i didn't and then it just got better from from there because what it is uh, and for those of you who <clears throat> may, maybe don't know i can't imagine anybody listening to this doesn't but just in case when, you, when we're talking about an amp head that's something that is just the amplifier portion and then via speaker cable you connect that to an extension cabinet or a speaker cabinet mm-hmm. that's how you get the sound out there to the world this one was like you know what fuck all that we're going to actually put speakers inside the head shell. And, and, and so that's <laughs> oh exactly God. what they did. They put two Celestians. They must have been like they must have been like five six inch or yeah, something. I was say they were so five small. Five or six inch speakers, yeah. That's in cool. the actual head shell. So not only can you plug that into your external, external 4x12, which was how they recommended uh, to use it for, for large rooms, uh, <laughs> but they said it is more than loud enough to fill up the practice space. So you don't even need the cabinet anymore. Wow. Your head now has the speakers in it. And I just found that truly delightful and i want to own this. was it cheap i mean maybe we could just buy it for the show i you believe know, it was like 160 that. or 170 dollars which frankly is exactly what that should cost dude just for a little like uh, living room crate. little living room practice amp kind of thing and then you could attach the extension cab too so 
I mean, yeah, and I think if I recall correctly, they even went so far as to replace the original crate grill cloth with like a fendery grill cloth. (laughs) They put a lot of love (laughs) into this thing, dude. Wait, yeah. So some dad loved the shit out of this, and now he's moving on to to something else. But it can wow. be yours if you live in the Chicagoland area, and maybe it will be, it will be ours. Maybe that will be the official amp of of Gearbuds. That would be really cool. We could put our logo on it, man. I would love that. I just want to say, just the last thing too about it is like you're not going to find this on Reverb. Like this is why Cra- <laughs> yeah. I'm happy that Craigslist still exists. Me too, man. Like we love Reverb, you know, there for for many reasons it's a it's a it's a cool company, but man, Craigslist forever. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> it's I mean, if anything it's enter- it's entertainment, free entertainment. Yeah. Exactly. <sighs> wow, I feel like James, did I cut you off? Were you going to worry about to say something? Uh, I was just going to tell you that I already sent the email, so I've got the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> going to pick it up this afternoon. Damn it. Yeah. Better slow your roll. Well, as long as oh, we know man. the person that owns it, I mean, maybe we can at least check it out sometimes. So. Yeah, exactly. Let's lease it from you. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen that though, where somebody wired little tiny speakers into the, nope. into the cabinet of the head. That's like, well, it would have ever. to be a solid state amp because yep. in, in a, in a tube amp, there's just not going to be enough space yeah. in there anyways. Right, right. Uh, and but because that amp is just mostly air, there's the guy was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this genius level and I'm gonna put some speakers in there, and I, now it's just now it's just a combo. I just have so many questions. I, yeah, I really want to check it out. I at least like want to call the guy and just like drive to his place and like play it, you know, and then see if he'll like toss us a good deal on it. You know, I feel like 160 bucks is already a good deal. I, yeah. I would probably feel guilty trying to negotiate down on something like that. By the way, yeah. So yeah. I don't enough. know. You put a lot of work into it. I love it, man. Oh, get yourself a crate. It's a great little amp. Uh, <laughs> last thing in future gear here that I wanted to mention, and unfortunately I don't have all the details, but uh, this week Prince's personal Yamaha DX7 synth went up for auction Whoa. and has sold. I guess uh, one of the engineers from Paisley Park, uh, obviously his old studio, uh, owned it since like the 90s along with some emu sampler. Uh, and they just on that on that RR auction, which has just been like totally blowing up lately. I feel like it's very I'm seeing something about it every day. Uh, yeah. they, it auctioned on there. Unfortunately, by the time I got to it, it, the, it had already sold <clears throat> and it didn't say how expensive it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they expect it, you know, they usually on an auction will put like expected going price and they had 25,000 on there which is frankly wow. fucking insane for a dx7 considering you can get those for like a few hundred dollars yeah for sure um i mean it was princes i guess but it was princes and it did have on the top it had some masking tape with different um like in his handwriting different presets like cool drums and stuff like that oh, on there, cool. which i guess is like part of the reason you're buying it that would be um, really cool yeah but yeah someone some lucky some lucky synthesis out there now owns princes uh dx7 beautiful oh that's great it's not us, though, unfortunately. Oh, it never is. <laughs> oh, wait. There was one more thing. I lied. There was one more thing for Future Gear here, and that's just to quickly mention also via Reverb uh, because they do a lot of cool stuff. They have teamed up with Fender uh, to – Fender built five handcrafted master-built custom shop guitars. Uh, they're from their master builders, uh, as long as along with some signature guitars autographed by Jeff Beck, Flea, Tom Rello, Brad Paisley, Clapton, Duff McKagan, and they are um, because obviously, as we know, people as people that have been on the show and our friends, the the touring industry is just pretty much completely dead right now Uh, so 100% of these proceeds will go to support roadies sound engineers lighting riggers and other tour staff through crew nation uh, a charity which you know is it is by live nation so 
I have my own conflicted feelings about them as a, an organization, but this does seem like a, a totally good thing. So I'm mm -hmm. very excited that uh, it happened. However, again, a little too late to the party here because when I checked the listing today, all the, but one of the guitars have sold already. Oh, wow. um, so it's all that, which is awesome. Great, but yeah. you know, if you're a listener trying to get your hands on one of these, um, unfortunately the only one left as of, uh, recording was a signed Fender Road Worn Brad Paisley signature Tele, uh, <laughs> and which was like twenty five k or twenty five hundred or something like that. So, okay, uh, you know you can still go get that theoretically, but um, yeah, everything else has sold already, which is awesome. Anything that we can do to support our friends in the live sound music world, we should do it. That's beautiful. And Fender, Fender did some cool stuff around that, so that's awesome. All right, Future Gear done Closed. now we're going to get into a couple two tree randos and this is james where we start to get to know you a little better and just kind of fire off a couple random questions at you all right uh because it's just uh it's been enough of me so let's get into <laughs> you uh if you could swap places with any band member any band past or present living or dead regardless of your or their talent levels or anything like that who would it be and why oh geez um that's a great question I feel like there's a couple ways to answer that. There's either like this really ridiculous way um, of like something that would I'd be... say give us both if you want. <laughs> sure. So insane. Yeah. I think um, from like um, from a like I play keys perspective. I think it'd always be cool to be in the doors and sort of fill. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I th there's something about that era when they were um, when uh, like I'm not a huge Doors fan, but just like the uh, insanity around their live performance and. Uh, recklessness maybe <laughs> is a better oh term. yeah agreed um dude you're giving like... yourself a pretty tough job too man yeah, like, yeah. I mean, rayman both Zurich, the bass uh... and the main melodies are coming from him but we did yeah. say regardless of of any town not that i've ever seen you play but you know i would assume ray's up there with uh the best of them totally totally yeah yeah it's uh i don't know i think that'd be a cool thing to be a part of the sort of ridiculous thing is like wouldn't it be cool to be part of like sugar ray with like Mark McGrath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, that's the fun route, right? Like, just kind of take yeah, the yeah. easier route, kind of go like, we get to party on the bus, you know, it's the 90s. Yep. Yeah. Like, just oh my God, that's such a good answer. <laughs> Shit, like, right. nobody, nobody has gone that route yet uh, when we ask that. It's usually like, oh, I want to be, I don't know, like terry kath from chicago or yeah. like hendrix bach? or something it's it's like or bach, bach right. was one of the best answers we've ever gotten on the show not like i want to be uh the dj in sugar ray yeah yeah i love it best seat in the house oh yeah, totally. dude that's such a good one i love that all right uh this one i actually i read an article this week and it triggered this question this is a, a first time we're asking this one so dave i'm gonna ask you too although okay. i sort of suspect i know what your answer is gonna be oh uh if you could make any band from a movie or TV show, from a, a, a if you can make any fictional band real, Whoa. which one would it be? That's hard. Uh, from especially from a I'll guy who can watches. I I'll tell you mine. I want to hear yours. To get yeah. what, so you guys can think. And and I'll admit that this is one that was in the list of the, the in the article that I read. But I've got to go with Crucial Taunt. Uh, and for those who don't oh, know, yeah. that is the band in Wayne's World. Yeah. Because they ripped. Uh, and, and there, and, and I just watched Wayne, Wayne's world recently and that movie still rules. So, um, I just like, although there, uh, there are a couple others I'll mention after we're done, if we don't get to them, but like, I've, I've I would go with crucial taunt. I want to see Cassandra rip that P base. <laughs> I think in the, the same sort of uh, line of thought, wasn't the other band that played with him called the Shitty Beatles? Like, would the that Shitty also Beatles. be called the Shitty Beatles? Yeah, how are they? <laughs> yeah. How are they? <laughs> one of the best lines in the pick. movie, man. 
Yeah, yeah. You're, are you picking the shitty Beatles? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna stick with the shitty Beatles. I can't. Oh, I mean, great. maybe it'd just be the Monkees, uh, pre the album head, but it could be. Who knows what it could be? Oh, uh, that's fantastic. Um, I don't. I mean, you know, my. I want to say like Spinal Tap would. Probably okay, have uh, that's to be. what I was gonna say. You. I mean, it's guess. my Thank favorite you. movie of all time. You know, right. I kind of have to. But it's funny because when you asked me that, my brain went completely flat for a second, and I'm like, I can't think of any movie with a band in it right now. I, you know, uh, that thing you do would also be a good yep. one. Oh, that yeah. my, my first my gut instinct was the Oneaters for sure. I think that was my first one that came to my head too because I was like, when you think of a, a movie about a band, I mean, that's you know, is there one better? You know, I'll I'll mention too that uh, I don't think I would have necessarily come up with, uh, but that I from were in the article that I thought were amazing. One, uh, Wild Stallions, uh, being in the Bill and oh. Ted movies, <laughs> which of course there's a new one coming out, so that's that's sort of culturally relevant right now. Um, but one that you know, I've got to be honest, like I don't really give a shit about these movies at all. But one of the Harry Potter movies has uh, a crazy super band in it with like Johnny Greenwood and a couple other amazing musicians, and maybe like someone from Cigarettes. I can't remember who it is, but it was just like, all these like super cool musicians from bands that I really love nice. are in a Harry Potter movie as a band called like the Weird Sisters or something like that. I don't really, I don't really know. Hmm. Okay, but um, any band that has Johnny Greenwood in it, I'm probably gonna want to see. Be real. I just so thought sweet. I just thought of one more. Wait, um, it, almost famous. What was the band in Almost Famous? Oh, Stillwater. Stillwater. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool because it was just like the seventies. You know, it'd be fun to like Fever Dog. Yeah, Fever Dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Dude, feel like Stillwater question. kind of was just like they were like a real. Like I thought they Zeppelin were like a real plus band. Jethro Tull plus like Leonard Skinner. Yeah, it was. It was just kind of like the tropes of that era yeah. all in one. I love it. Uh, yeah, I think I think that I'm gonna try to keep that I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that question in here because uh, nice. I want to hear what other people have to say. All right, um, do you do an impression or accent? Uh huh. Kind of. I, I think um, to be honest, uh, I do like a, a terrible Southern slash British accent, and I think they sort of become one and the other sometimes. Wow. Oh, that's um, good. And okay. it's more so. I think uh, lately I've been refining my British accent because my daughter watches a lot of Peppa Pig. So we nice. do. Uh, she, I think, she's also developing her own unique style on my terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> and we read a lot of uh, her books uh, that are Pepper Pig, and I'll read them in the, in my terrible accent. So, well, hit us, give yeah, us, like, give, give us, us a taste. sample. Oh my god, jeez, uh, hello, Peppa is like, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, you're Daddy. such a good sport. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, sorry, that's Ooh. pretty good. No, we got to put you on the spot. It's part of the. Segment. We have to. All right, a couple more here. Uh, and this question comes from our guests from two weeks ago, uh, Max and Dimitri from Rookie. And by the way, that was an awesome episode. If you yeah. haven't listened to it, you should go back and check that one out after this one because it was also very good. Uh, but they wanted to know, <clears throat> in, in this, um, you know, I'm going to have to ask you to put on your maybe guitar hat for a second because they want to know if you could only use one type of guitar pickup for the rest of your life and and i asked t specifically they want to know type not like brand so you know whatever single coil or p90 or something which one would you choose shit i don't feel like i know enough about guitars to even make a selection <laughs> um i mean i guess probably whatever like, pickups inside a Rhodes. how about that yeah or like a, a humbucker i think probably i have this i have this old um sort of jet uh, i guess it's like a japanese copy sg that i had gotten on ebay a long time ago for like a couple hundred bucks and oh. i believe it has humbuckers in it and i like that thing sounds awesome um love it perfect yeah. that's i that's what i picked too um 
All right, last question. Uh, what question should we ask our next guest? And you can't know who that is yet because what if it changes? Um, if you, uh, if you, the music, let me think about this. I want to say like, I don't want to assume everyone makes uh, as a musician, but if you're a musician, what food would you use to describe how your music sounds? Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Holy shit. I you can't believe you just pulled that, pulled out. that out of nowhere. I did. Huh? I did. I said right out of my ass. Here you go. <laughs> that was so good. Well, all right. Well, I've got to ask you then. What would yours sound like? Or I guess, I'm sorry. What would your music taste like? Um, I feel like um, there's uh, the, so my wife is, uh, her family is originally from Laos. So we eat a lot of sticky rice and there's this dish that she makes in the morning. It's really simple. Um, it's just uh, like scrambled, lightly scrambled eggs and soy sauce with sticky rice. But the flavor is very interesting. So sometimes the music I make is a little simple, but. The flavor's there. It's just right. Oh, dude. Hell yeah. That sounded yeah. super pompous. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm oh, hungry as shit now. That sounds answer. amazing. I might have to try that dish, too. Yeah. What's, it's fucking, do you know wow. what it's called? Uh, I'm sure there's like a way to say it in in, uh, in Laos, but I don't I don't know the specific way. Okay. We just stick your I'll rice and up. eggs. Yeah, I'll yeah. Google it. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds amazing. Wow. That was that was wonderful. Thank you for being such a good sport. Yeah, yeah. And let's just uh, let's just keep the good vibes rolling. So I want to I want to dig a bit back into your your past here and how you got in the music world. So uh, you know, give us give us a little bit of the rundown. Where'd you where'd you grow up and kind of what was it that got you started with music? How did that happen? Yeah, um, let's see. So I'm originally from a small town in Michigan um, called Marysville, Michigan. It's about an hour north of Detroit. Um, so it's sort of a suburb, but sort of not really small area. Um, music for me, this is going to be super terrible. Uh, the first sort of thing that got me into it, I think as a performer was like a typical, like high school band. Um, we were at the time, uh, super into new metal. Um, nice. so, we, so we had a, 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 a new metal band, uh, with the name of Illogic, I L L O G I C. That's so new metal. <laughs> yeah. That's so um, new metal. I love it. <laughs> um, oh my God, that's great. Yeah, so it gets where, where, like, it's really like where it started, where I had some friends who actually sort of knew what they were doing. At the time, I thought I was going to be some sort of sweet, white hip-hop rap singer thing that uh, was, was terrible looking back. Were uh, you were you doing keys, or what were you, what were you playing in that just, band? No, I, yeah, just singing. And really, at that, that point, I hadn't even started to play any sort of instrument at, like, I guess I was at, like, 16... 15, 16. Yeah, I hadn't even learned to play anything yet. Um, I actually didn't learn to play piano until I was in college. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was uh, it was terrible. Um, but uh, like we played a couple shows and like you know you start to get that um, I don't know that itch to sort of like be in front of people and play and have a good time and uh, it really started probably there with with that stuff. Yeah, man. Um, I've got to ask: uh, is that is that the worst band name you've ever had? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Um, I mean the band after <laughs> the band after that was just named after a street, which I think was more of a lazy name. But yeah, that was yeah, Illogic's pretty bad. Um, yeah, the other the other band I think that uh, band name that was around that time was also really terrible that we didn't use was like Slave to the System. So like very like Rage oh, Against the Machine. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> like literally a Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah, funny. yeah. Are so. there any? Is there documentation of this band? Is there music out there that uh, that is available to listen to? I don't know if there's music. I don't know that we ever really recorded anything. There's definitely photos. There's definitely some terrible pictures of me yeah. with like my hair spiked up like Wayne Static. 
some weird oh yeah Holy shit, that's amazing. So yeah. uh, I guess, all right, so you said you, you didn't start uh, doing the piano thing until college. How did that How did that happen? What, what was the sort of evolution there? Yeah, yeah. So I had um, I had done like a couple of years of community college in Michigan, played in sort of like this, um, continued my singing path, uh, and sort of like a screamo, sort of like Thursday, Glass Jaw-esque band at, at that time that was really popular. And then, we, uh, then from there, I decided to move to Chicago uh, and go to school at Columbia for film um, at first. And then decided to go into music. Um, and then I just started to learn, to be honest. Like I just had, I, I was here by myself at that time. Um, didn't really know anyone. Had bought a, to be honest, bought a World Surfer super cheap that I still have today. Um, oh, was that started, a 200A? Yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. And then you got one for super cheap. That's amazing. Yeah. I got it for like 300 bucks or something. What? It was insane. Dang. Yeah. And I've had it. Um, I mean, I've had it. It's the only thing that I've probably had the entire time since I've lived here That's in Chicago cool. that I've kept. Yeah. Um, and then I started to learn, uh, like took a lot of theory classes, um, started to learn, like read music, um, and just played a whole bunch. And, and for me, I've always been sort of like a, I wouldn't say like a math whiz, but always really interested in math. And for whatever reason, like music for me was really easy to identify with mathematics. So it, be, so it sort of started to come pretty mm-hmm. easy for me for a lot of stuff. Yeah, so sense. yeah, dude, I feel like not enough, I don't, I don't hear enough people talking about that because when it comes down to it, music is it is totally math i mean it's all just different uh intervals and and ratios and and yeah it's it's really interesting how you know we see art and music as this sort of like left brain thing but Mm -hmm. really so much of it is like truly tied to the 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 really right brain mathematics uh of of the world so that's 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 an interesting point when we and and i guess this sort of ties back when when i first met you which we've established was probably like 15 or plus years ago our bands um had started playing together and your band i would i would say was on the mathier side of things um Ooh, Dave, is this your weekly uh, Sorry about siren that. going yeah. by? Yeah, if you want to, if you want to restart that, uh, feel free. I'm, I apologize. Fuck no, dude. That's just that's just real life right now. That's I'm city that living, baby. I'm not in that. That's city living. Quietest uh, room in the so house. When we, yeah, when we we're like I, we're saying we're you know we sort of met. I was playing this band called Probably Vampires, and you had a band called Them Roaring Them Roaring Twenties. What was um what was kind of like the genesis of that? How did you guys get together and start making music? Yeah, that one's really interesting. So we, um, when I moved to Chicago, there was like sort of this coalition of folks um, from my hometown and like the neighboring hometowns that were all sort of in the music scene. And we're like, yeah, we're all going to move to Chicago. It's going to be a great time. And then uh, as the only, only like, uh, this sounds terrible, as the only responsible one, <laughs> I got my shit together and moved. <laughs> and everyone else like didn't. Um, so after I was here for like a year or two, then everyone sort of slowly started to come uh, and move. Um, so when uh, at one point there was like three of us uh, two of us had played music previously and then two people we hadn't played with before um, all ended up living together um, then eventually moving to this loft on uh, Milwaukee Avenue in Wicker Park um, and then we and then from there we just started to play music together I think we had all sort of done different stuff previously and were inspired by a lot of what was happening in Chicago sort of at that time and previously um, and just sort of took that and and sort of seen sort of, sort of just wanted to see what we could do with it. It was always always interesting because there was only, we never really had a bass player. It was this two guitarists, a drummer, and then me playing keys. Um, so there was like a lot of different variations of stuff we could do. And um, I think we all had uh, sort of different interests at that time too about what kind of music we were into. So it brought a little a lot of stuff to together. But yeah, it was it really was just like sort of out of all living together that we were able to to make music. Did you guys jam? Like, did you have the jam house like in the basement or something like that? 
Um, yeah, we had so we lived in uh, we lived in this loft space that was it was pretty big, um, and there was Dude, like that a, place was fucking rad. And I was as I was like going through putting the outline together for this, I realized how much I miss places like that. Uh, even yeah. your spots specifically. What was it called? Was it like Gator Loft or something like that? Oh, so that was that's really interesting. That building ended up being like really awesome. There was a place on the second floor called Gator Loft, which was like. Um, these punk rock dudes. And so they did a lot of like pop punk, punk stuff. Um, they were super awesome. And then we had a, a space on the fourth floor. And then eventually we actually had a space on the third floor as well. And ours was called uh, <laughs> fuck mountain at the time. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> fuck mountain. Dude. How yeah. could I forget? That's such a good name. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, how long did so, you have that space? It wasn't too long. Like, it seemed like such a long time, but it really wasn't like, I think we had it, for I lived there for maybe two years, and then I think they ran that like another year after I moved out. And then once sort of like the the main crew of people moved out, I think maybe there was like another year there where some other people moved in and sort of kept the name. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was only like maybe two years span, if that. Wow. Like it might have even been like a year if, and a half. If, it feels like it feels like such a such a long time in like that whole world. But I I have to wonder. I mean. I can't imagine that those aren't just like ridiculously expensive multi-million dollar condos oh, yeah. at this point, right? Oh yeah, totally. They are for sure. They um, I sometimes I can't remember. It was a few months ago, I looked it up uh, just to sort of see. I was trying to see if actually I could find so many old photos on online. Um, anyone had maybe mm-hmm. tagged that address, and uh, yeah, they're like insane. What's really funny is um, when my wife and I were moving to Pilsen, we were before we bought a place, we were looking uh, to try to find like a loft to rent. And uh, I, we went to go check out this one loft space and we walk up to the door and uh, the door opens and uh, this guy walks out and he goes, ah, Mr. Beasley. And it was the same landlord I had on Milwaukee Avenue where we used to throw parties and no shows way. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's and insane. he was like, like uh, yeah. this is my wife and child. Uh, yeah. Things I'm like, have changed uh, a little bit. Yeah. Things are different now. I promise. Um, but yeah, it was I really promise. funny. <laughs> wow. wow. That's a crazy coincidence. Yeah, yeah. He was super chill about it, but it was really funny. I could tell he was like really nervous about me looking at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's going to ask for an extra deposit from you. Yep, yep. So I'm curious, like, were you, I, I can't remember, were you already doing, like, were you recording your own music and, and doing stuff with Emerald 20s at that point? Like, how did you sort of transition into also being this audio uh, engineer recording dude? Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit. When we were, um, we did a lot of stuff ourselves there, and I think all of us were sort of definitely novices at that point about how to record and how to how to do all those pieces. So I think we all sort of did it together there and sort of cut our teeth trying to figure it out. Um, I had a friend, uh, Mike Mike Overe, who I own the studio with today. Um, he was still living in Michigan and had a studio there, um, and he's the one who sort of I think shared a lot of knowledge with us, and he he actually helped us cut the the record that we did put out. Um, but yeah, while we were there, it was just sort of like, to be honest, just like sort of messing around to see what we could put together that sounded good or sounded decent. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't really until much later that I got super interested into that stuff after, um, the loft life had proven to be a little too much for me on a regular basis. Um, (laughs) I decided that, um, so Mike, Mike was in a band, um, called every Avenue that was, uh, decently popular. They were sort of on, uh, riding the, the wave of, that like pop pop rock pop punk sort of stuff that was going on at the time like um all time low made a parade some of these other sort of bands mm-hmm. that um were popular so they were getting a decent amount decent amount of touring and uh i was like oh I'll, you know i'll be your tour manager um so it just sort of worked out that uh i was ready to get out of the loft and then i uh, just basically put all my stuff in storage and and went on tour with them and tour managed oh, wow. them for like a year and a half um and during that time to be honest is when i probably learned the most about recording like doing live sound 
um, for them at the time because it was basically just me and the band. And then um, and then Mike obviously was in the band. I had been doing he had been recording for a while, so I picked up a lot of stuff from him. And we just we would drive through the night and just chat about stuff. How did that? <clears throat> so, so how did you sort of take that from? being this tour manager and, and sort of being on the road how did you how did you turn that into then actually launching your own studio and, and getting into that world yeah yeah so we um so we had both uh, also sort of grown tired uh, mike and i of of the, that road life after about a year and a half um it's it's weird sort of being god what was i at that time maybe 27 28 and like taking care of like four other dudes who are like 24 like basically being their dad oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. your dad and you're 27 cool. yeah. Oh, fuck. yeah i was like uh i'm kind of i'm kind of done with this and he was too um and it was i think it was just weird to sort of like their their core audience was like you know 15 to 17 year old girls sure. and i think when you're want to be in a rock band and and you go out and that's who you play to every night it starts to feel a little weird a little jarring um, mm-hmm. so we just, we just like, yeah, spent those evenings talking about opening the studio and what we would need to do and sort of did all the planning. Um, and then we, at one point just quit, went back to Michigan, uh, spent about a month or two there sort of making trips to Chicago to try to find a place to live in a place to have the studio. Um, and then, uh, and saving money basically. And then, and then just were able to find a spot. Uh, Mike had enough leftover gear from when he had a studio in Michigan. And then I had some stuff leftover, um, from living at the loft and different things. And we just sort of threw it together and opened our first space. Uh, in Humboldt, and that was, God, that was a while ago now, too, 2009, maybe? Were you already calling it Downbeat at that point? Yeah, yeah, he'd actually, he was actually calling his studio in Michigan Downbeat beforehand. Um, Oh, cool. So we just just kept the name and brought it with us. Yep. Oh, it's a great name. Don't, definitely don't, don't give that up. I mean, there's so many stupid name places out there. Downbeat's (laughs) such a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, did, Did you guys, did you, did you, like, because I know that a lot of sort of what you do is is um, kind of rooted in the analog and tape world. Were, was that always kind of the idea from the beginning? Uh, were you was it always about a console and a tape machine? Like was or did that sort of evolve later? How did that happen? Yeah, I think it sort of evolved. Um, interestingly, like Mike and I are, are starkly different in that approach. Like he he is someone who likes to work in the box, likes precision, accuracy, sort of things to sound really consistent. Um, and he's able to sort of like nail that polished, very polished, like rock radio sound. Um, and that just doesn't interest me at all. Um, so it's like, so it's been <laughs> sort of, there was always this sort of like push and pull about like what we would buy for the studio and sort of like how we wanted to develop it. I think we both always liked the idea of having like a large console, just, I think in any sort of studio, if you want to bring in solid clients and sort of look, totally. uh, look respectable, you got to have something. If not, it's like, it could be someone's bedroom. Um, yep. so I think that's how we eventually got there. But, um, yeah, it's definitely like my interest in tape. I think that sort of like drove us to do more analog stuff. Um, and me personally, like there's, there's just an element and I know everyone who records, uh, who's like interested in analog sort of says this, but there's just something about like turning knobs and hearing something happen, um, or putting something in the tape and sort of hearing it come back and hear the difference. Um, that like just really intrigued me at the time. Um, and as I was learning, um, the computer stuff became almost too cumbersome for me. It was like, there was too many options. So I could sit and like literally toggle stuff on and off all day and not get anything done because I was like, well, that sounds kind of cool. Well, let me try it this way. Well, that also sounds kind of cool. Let me save that preset. And then. Um, so I was just like finding I wasn't getting anything done. Um, so yeah, so I sort of uh, found it easier and there's something about like the, like once it's there, it's done. You know what I mean? Like there's, like you can't go back and correct it. And I, I really like, there's something about that that I really enjoyed. Yeah. It's about making choices and, and then sort of living with those choices as you move forward or just doing it again if you have to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's a looseness to it. 
what's the sort of like uh, the current setup? Because I know that you were in a space and then now I think it's transitioned to more of sort of like a, a home type operation. So what is like the current um, configuration of Downbeat? Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, after my daughter was born, uh, I realized that like it was great having a space. It was, it was actually the second space we were in in the, excuse me, the largest space. But it was just like anytime I was going there, I was like fixing stuff, um, which like was was not fun for me. I was like, cool, I have this awesome studio that I could do work in. But every time I'm here, I have to sort of like pick up after whoever was here before because we were uh, sort of outsourcing to other engineers at the time or something would break and I'd have to fix it. So I was like, this isn't really worth it. And and the overhead of having a studio like with the rent and insurance and all that stuff is just it eats a lot out of your pocket really fast. So. Sure. Um, at that point, we just sort of liquidated all the big stuff um, that we could, that we weren't going to need, um, which was basically just about everything. And then I decided that I would just set up something at home. Um, at that time, right around that time, too, we had, we had just bought uh, the house we have now in Pilsen, and there was like a full attic that wasn't refinished. Um, so I was like, well, I'll just refinish that um, and try to set oh, up wow. a shop up there. Yeah. Um, so it works out really well. That's it's a like dream. It's sort of like half recording studio, then like half sort of like couch and play area for Theodora and then and then I turned the back porch into like a drum, a, a drum room um, oh, but yeah nice now it's pretty too. simple I just have some like nice rat gear um, I've tried to like and uh, I've learned I guess like to not invest in a lot of stuff but invest in like nicer amounts of mm-hmm. less stuff if that makes sense um, yeah oh totally yeah I and totally then agree. and then I think just learning how to build stuff has made, has made it made the biggest difference like now a lot of stuff is either stuff that I've built or uh, like refurbed um, but yeah it's pretty it's pretty pretty nice uh i like it so i still like i still find myself on reverb looking at like recording consoles being like yeah i could probably carry, get oh, someone yeah. to carry that that's why you're on the podcast <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like, i have zero need for like a 32 channel console from like the 70s but <laughs> if i could pay someone to carry it up here and it was just here that'd be awesome yeah, uh, you'd figure dude, out some room so, for it sure. yeah. so many things that you just said uh, triggered things in my mind that i want to touch on real quick so first of all i gotta say i'm pretty sure <clears throat> i don't know I, I don't think it's the same room but i'm pretty sure that like right before the rona shit happened i moved into the building that that you guys used to be in uh, with my band. Uh, oh. What is that, like 3441 West Grand, I believe? Yeah, yeah, that's the building, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know if you know the other people in there, but the the room that I'm in now is with a band called Butchered, uh, and this dude Lewis and, and his bands, I can't remember, there's cassettes on tape or something like that, I think is the name of the other band in there. Mm. Um, but that's a, that's an interesting building, because uh, the room that, that I moved into has a control room with glass and everything in there already, which is kind of cool. Is it uh, is it the room where you, like right when you come up the stairs, it's like right there on the left? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it used to be. Um, that used to be uh, Phantom Manor. Used to be the name of that studio, and it was ran by. Oh no, shit! I didn't Mike, know that. Uh, if Mike it's Lust. One, yeah, Mike Lust. Yeah, and it's, so if it has a kitchen in it and a bathroom, then that's the one. Dude, oh my god, yep. I didn't realize that. That's Phantom Manor. Holy shit! Yeah, that's <laughs> yep. that's that's. I'm in there. That's my space now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We looked at that space when we were trying to downsize from the one that we were in. Um, which is just down the hall from there, which there's a, there's a studio in there now. The guys are super cool and I'm never going to remember the name of it, but, um, it's like three or four units down from that one. Um, but yeah, we no looked kidding. at that space. Um, I can't even cool. imagine how big that room must be because the one that I'm in is enormous. I mean, for my standards, at least yeah, uh, so the, you're, the old room that you're in must've been giant. Yeah. It was like, I think it was like 1800 square feet. So it was, it was, it was a good amount of size. It was Damn. nice. Yep. Um, but you, you also mentioned, uh, you know, sort of repairing and, and building stuff. And that's definitely something I want to ask you about because you're constantly yeah. posting just like the coolest shit that you're, you're building and working on right now. How did that, like, how did you get into, for those who don't know you, from what I've seen, you tend to t- take sort of like 
uh, older analog type things and find ways to either update them for current usage or sort of repurpose them. Um, one of the th- coolest things that I've seen recently are these real like giant analog meters that you've built. So like, how did that, like, where did that yeah. come from? How did you get into doing all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I think, um, really when, even before we had the studio, I would just, I would just get into like soldering stuff. So it really started like to, to be like about like just fixing cables or, or when we had the studio, I was like, well, it's cheaper for me just to make our own cables. Why don't I just learn how to do it and make them? Um, and then from <laughs> oh, yeah. there, I just sort of, um, started to like learn, learn a lot through like just making kits. So like buy a kit online and build it where hopefully there was some decent step by step stuff or doing some, some light research. Um, and then through that time, as I was learning, there was, um, there's a friend of mine, uh, Rob Roy Campbell, his name is, he owns, a uh, a company called Electronaut in Chicago. He does all tube stuff, but he's like the nicest dude ever. And would, would, would always give me time to like bounce ideas off him or ask questions. And to be honest, he just educated me a whole ton. So I think there was like a span in there of like two or three years where, when we had the studio where I was fixing stuff, learning how to fix stuff. And he was really like mentoring me through a lot of that. And, um, and that, that was like super helpful. And then, and then once I got my own space at home where it was like sort of easy to like set up the gear, then set up like a spot to like, solder or fix things um i just i just kept to be honest i just kept doing more kits like i did a lot of these cappy uh preamps oh, yeah. um and then like those got a lot easier and then i started to like learn more about reading schematics and um but actually like understanding versus like hey this is the part i need to replace in the schematic let me go find it and now sort of like understanding like how how the uh, the thing's actually working uh, and what each piece is doing and and then from there, yeah, it's just like for me, like I like old analog, big VU meters and big transformers yeah. and shit that just seems like cool from a different era. So I try to find that stuff uh, on eBay or online and see what I can do to make it usable. I think what was always scary for me um, was like, oh, I see these meters, but I don't even know how to hook them up or I don't even know what to do right. with them. And and I think so for me, it's been like, you know, try not to like make a little bit of money for myself, but not charge a ton for them. But be like, you know, here are these things that you probably want to would want to buy but you don't really know how to hook them up i do let me hook them up for a decent price put them in a nice box or an enclosure from that same era and then and then sell them um i love yeah. that shit so That's much and they man. look so cool like the just i mean i'm sure yeah. that of course i'm sure the big transformers and everything you're using sound awesome but like they just fucking look awesome they look and so like I, I i want all of it <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's, uh, really, it's and i stumbled there's this guy in uh connecticut um on instagram his name's uh, preservation sound and he really inspired like a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, he, I happen to follow him on Instagram at some point, and, and he has like he has a blog that has just a ton of information about audio gear from the past and now. And um, he was using a lot of these same sort of style boxes that I use that are made by this company called Bud Industries that's been around since like the seventies. And um, so it was it was like I sort of like mimicked a lot of his stuff to start, and then sort of figured out how I could like make some of it my own um, and sort of offshoot from that. But yeah, it's cool Dude, stuff. Hell yeah, thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna check. I'm not familiar. I'm definitely yeah. gonna check out Preservation Sound. Do you ever? Yeah. Uh, it, do you ever? Do you? Have, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, you're fine. Uh, I was gonna ask you, like, do you ever buy something that you want to fix up, and then you're like, I'm keeping this. This is just way too cool. All the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my life. Um, I have I have this sort of uh, I think like internal dialogue where. Um, my goal is to like always stay even and I've, I've, I've been pretty okay. true to that. Um, so like if I buy something that's broken that I want, um, like I have to make sure that I've sold something else to sort of keep myself even. Um, yep. 
So I, I, I've, I've been pretty lucky with that. I think over time, what's what I, to be honest, what I've really just gotten lucky with is finding shit on weird auctions that no one knows what they're selling. Yep. It's sort of hard to do that on eBay these days or like reverb, but like finding other sites or finding there's a site that's that's govdeals.org and it's like government agencies or like, um, state colleges that are just selling shit that they have and sometimes they'll be right. show, selling like tape machines that have kind of like the state that, sales where they just have yeah. like a bunch of crap and people don't really know dude exactly. i've got to be honest um i might edit this part out because yeah. i bleep that I want to uh <laughs> sorry, <I just laughs> totally there. i want to know about this shit for me and i don't want everybody you know, else to be able i thought to about that right as he now. said it i was like we should beep that part out <laughs> yeah. yeah i always have that dude, that's um, what i would do <laughs> That internal and, and, and there's this site called Beep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just got. Ass, I think man. I've gotten lucky with that stuff. Um, like recently, uh, I happened to pick up on an auction like this um, 3M tape machine, this four-track half-inch tape machine, and then this Ampex uh, quarter-inch two-track machine. And I'll be honest, I got them for like 600 bucks for both Holy of them. Holy shit! And I had to go pick them up. I had to drive like with COVID to Minnesota, but luckily my wife went with me and we went and picked them up from this auction house, this sort of like hole in the wall auction house. They like, they had no idea what they had. And mm-hmm. um, I always feel a little guilty about that, but I'm like, Ooh, I'm about to make some money. Um, oh yeah. No, <laughs> so uh, brought them back and they, they both work great with like a little bit of finesse. And um, yeah, now I have this, this 3M machine, which is the same sort of same generation that was used on some of the Beatles final records. Like they, they had like the eight track, probably one inch version or eight track, uh, probably had been one inch at that time, eight track, one inch version. But now I have like the four track half inch version. And I don't know. It's just, there's something cool about that. And like, that's too cool. Yeah. yeah, So I've been really lucky with some of that, some of that shit, which has helped. I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually specifically one thing I wanted to ask you about because I remember you posting about that and 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 but sort of more more uh, on the, on a higher level and and we don't have to get super deep into it because this could be a whole other like four hour episode. But I'm just curious, like from your perspective as as someone who has a lot of uh, experience with tape and, and tape machines, if someone was looking to put together their own sort of tape machine rig where either maybe they're either they're just looking for a multi track to do some to do some tracking or or even like a two uh, two track to for final sort of mastering and, and printing what how would you direct someone like is there a machine that you think would be the best for a beginner or that's maybe the most reliable or, or how would yeah. you how would you sort of advise someone trying to get into the the sort of tape world yeah yeah it's interesting i think I think if someone just like wants to dip their toe in it and they've been sort of doing a lot of stuff in like pro tools or, or in a DAW, I think like yeah. the easiest way, and this is how I got started was just to get a two track machine where you could either bounce like your stereo two bus down to once you're done mixing or, or if you really wanted to, you could bust like individual tracks to it just to add like the tape saturation sort of sound to each track. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to get started and to, to really understand if you want to, uh, like if you want to spend the time dealing with it, cause they are cumbersome and they are, mm-hmm. it is like a whole like art to learn how to use it and how to use it properly and then how to use it like properly with your DAW. Um, and it's, so I think it's like sort of like low cost, it's lower cost to sort of start with something that's like two track quarter inch tape, the tapes cheaper, um, sort of get started. And then for like brand, I would definitely recommend Atari. I think the, the Atari okay. MX, Atari MX 5050 stuff. They do like a, they have like a two track machine. I actually have an eight track machine that's an Atari MX5050, but it's just like, it's built really well. And a lot of it was built for radio stations at the time. So it's built to last a long time. Um, And the parts are easily replaceable and there's still a lot of places that service them. Um, So that, that would be like probably my recommendation. Um, the first thing for actually, that Atari, sorry, real quick for that yeah. Atari two track, what would be, what would you expect like a, a sort of decent price range for something like that to be? 
uh, I mean, like, everything keeps getting so expensive. Uh, I would have, like, right. I would have paid, like, for me, reasonable would be, like, maybe, like, five to eight hundred, but I'd, that would be okay. me, like, spending time looking for a deal. Right. But um, probably on the open market, they're in the thousand plus range. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, the thing is, I think with what I would suggest to anyone, and, and, and I think it's like the thing that I would love to share with this is like, I'm always happy to be like a resource for people. Like it's hard to sort of look at a machine and know whether you're going to get it and it's going to be garbage or not. Right. Um, yeah. and there's a lot, there's a lot of variables that go into that, but I think that like having someone around or even like people who listen to this, leveraging me, like emailing me or messaging me on Instagram, I think like it's a, a having someone who can like sort of guide you like, Oh, that's, you know, there's a reason that's only $200 or, you know what I mean? Or that's yeah. a steal. You should get it. Yep. Um, it's super helpful. But yeah, I think I would start there. I think a two track machine quarter inch tape is probably the easiest way to start an Atari for sure. And if someone was maybe, maybe they felt comfortable with the, with the two track and wanted to jump into something, you know, four, eight, 16, something like that, where would you sort of direct that maybe sort of, uh, f- jumping from beginner to intermediate, uh, tape yeah. user? I think from there, I would, I would, I would almost stay with the, the Atari stuff. <laughs> um, like uh, the eight track that I have is really nice. It's a half inch eight track. Um, I think what a lot of people, the sort of like golden sound they shoot for is like a one inch eight track. Um, those are really hard to come by and those are going to be really expensive because there just isn't a lot of them. But I, I would probably stick with a star, uh, Atari stuff. You could, you could also start to look at, um, well, MCI would be another one that I recommend, but uh, Mara in Nashville, Mara Machines, he I, like just eats up all that stuff um, in a good way. Okay. Like he takes them all and refurbs them and resells them. Yeah, totally. And uh, I had a tape machine of his one time, a two track, and it was awesome. But it, it was like insanely expensive. But you're paying for the fact that it's like it's ready to go and will last another 30 years. You know what I mean? Um, totally. But yeah, I would, I would probably do. I mean, I, on eBay, Atari is like a safe search of mine. So I would that's what I would recommend. Nice. Boom. Uh, before we let you go, I've just, I mean, this is gear buds after all. So I just want to talk about your gear a little bit. I mean, what, what do you got right now in terms of like sort of keys and synths? I know that that's your, that's your sort of, um, performance, uh, 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 bread basket right there. That's not the word I'm looking for. That's your uh, sweet <laughs> I spot. That. I love that. <laughs> word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what, what do you got? What kind of, what, what do you got in the arsenal right now? Yeah. Um, so I have my, uh, my world tour 200 still got that. I have a Fender Rhodes suitcase from like the late seventies. Um, right now, is that a those, Mark Mark one? Uh, I think it's a two. Mark two. I could be wrong. It might be the one. I guess I could look at it. It's right here. Um, and then um, other than that, like those are the really like big things that I have. I sold a lot of stuff. Like I wish I still had. I used to have like a one of those Yamaha YC. I can't remember what the model number are, but like a lot of like uh, combo organs, like a Farfisa. All that stuff I sort of got mm-hmm. rid of. I realized after a while, like the, the, um, unfortunately and fortunately the software versions of those sound pretty close. Yeah. Um, yep. So they're a lot easier to use and those also are really, uh, fickle <laughs> to fix <laughs> and to get working properly. Um, and then I have this, um, Korg mini log synth that I really like. Oh yeah. Those are so fucking uh, rad. Yeah. And it's, they're not that expensive at all. I got it and I was like, oh, I'll give it yeah. a go and see if I like it. And it's been, it's been awesome. Um, but yeah, that's all I really have for hardware from, from a keys perspective. Um, most other stuff I just I have just haven't really had an interest in uh, using or or at least the emulations are pretty decent. The one thing I do miss having is a is a fucking Hammond though a Hammond organ and a Leslie. Like oh, we had yeah. one of those at the studio for a while and nothing sounds like that no matter how how good the the emulation is. 
we were just talking to our, our buddies, Rookie, and they tour with one of those things. They tour oh, with a B3, B3 and a Leslie. And no, a Leslie, thank you. yeah. No yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> and they have three guitar players in the band. Yeah. It's fucking wow. nuts. It's a crowded van. Jeez. Uh, yeah, they, wow. they sound awesome, well, though. I've got some uh, I've got some eBay and reverb searching to do because now I've got a, I've got I feel like I've got a little hankering for tape in my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I might be uh, it might be taking you up on your offer of uh, asking for uh, you know a clearance on whether or not something's a piece of crap or not. Totally. Yeah. Dude, that always. was so awesome talking to you. Thank you so much yeah, thank you, for James. joining us and being here. Uh, yeah. If uh, people wanted to check out you and your studio and the work that you guys do, where would you direct them on the old interwebs? Yeah, I think uh, just Instagram, search Downbeat Studio is probably the best bet. Um, we do have a website, but it's pretty outdated at this point. It's just downbeatstudio.com. And there's probably some old stuff that we recorded up there. Um, but yeah, that's probably the two best spots. Um, and then our email is downbeatstudiochicago at gmail. So if anyone has any questions or really just wants to like bounce ideas or looking for something, feel free to hit me up. I'll gladly answer as fast as I can. Hell yeah, man. Awesome, Thank you man. so much. Thank you. That is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing everything and being such an awesome guest. Uh, again, everyone go check out Downbeat Studio. They do really cool shit and buy some of the really cool stuff that James builds because um, I know I want it all. Um, but that's all that's all we've got for this week, folks. So thanks for joining right. us. Uh, you guys are great. Be safe and uh, take care of yourselves. See ya. See ya. Thanks for having me.